Welcome to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we explore what it means to be a well-rounded, happy, goal-crushing athlete. Every week, myself, sports journalist Molly Herford, and cycling coach and kinesiologist Peter Glassford interview experts and chat through all of your training questions. We're excited to have you along for the ride. Podcast, Peter, how's it going? It's going well. Yeah, I still haven't really decided what I'm doing in my athletic life, but I'm rolling along. How about you? Life, athletic life. Well, I guess I've I've decided I'm signed up for a trail marathon for next weekend, which I'm very okay. excited about. So now you do have a few things in your two week, two month. You have this, you have a 75k in October, mm-hmm. and then you have this Leadville in August of 2024. So you're starting to put a line together. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's happening. Um, no, it's actually, it's sort of comical to me because I remember... And I've like talked to when we had Chris McDougal on the podcast, I talked to him about this. I said, it's his fault that I ever signed up for my first trail marathon. Chris is the author of Born to Run. Uh, most people have read that book if you're at all interested in and running. And if you haven't, we'll put a link in the show notes. It's uh, it's a great book, Like whether you're into running or endurance or it's anything. It's just I, wonderfully written and so fun to read. I guess apologies if you're listening to this podcast, you're not into those things. But uh, yeah, it, it is a great- <laughs> You've picked a weird podcast. Great narrative. It's like, you know, we talk about Iron War is another one we really like where it's like almost almost a fictional story yeah. but it's actually all true i guess uh but it's it's they're just like really good narratives i guess yeah yeah so anyway uh when i first read born to run i signed up i went on newjerseytrailrunning.com or whatever the heck the site was and found that there was a trail marathon like a week away and signed up for it and to be fair like i'd done iron man and at that point i was not a stranger to marathons but i definitely hadn't really done a lot of distance running and oh man that hurt um i did that one actually in barefoot shoes too if i recall yeah you gotta own it Yeah. yeah yeah it was it was great um and now i'm signing up for races with a similar timeline where it's like oh this is eight days away i can sign up for it and to be fair, I have the blessing of my coach who said, if it's under, if it's not ultra distance, you can sign up a week away. And I was like, oh my God, I've gotten to the point in my life where signing up for a marathon doesn't even count as like, that's just like, yeah, just well, a not in your life, race. but maybe in your training in as someone who training, is yeah. a hundred mile racer, uh, that I guess is the way it is. That is how it is. Uh, I'm very excited about that. I'm also very excited about uh, UCI Mountain Bike World Championships, clearly, if you caught that Bart joke there. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm excited for it. I think this is going to be a good one for me to actually go out hard because I definitely have been going out very like gradually in races, which I think was a completely reasonable thing at Leadville Trail Marathon. Like I thought that was a good strategy. I'm happy with it, but... Mm-hmm. Do you want to figure out what it's going to feel like if I just go out guns ablazing, if you will? Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's. I think a lot of people, yourself included, are attracted to the longer, whatever longer means these days. Because we don't uh, have to go very hard. Well, and there's less of this, the tactics and the aggression and the this sort of thing. But I think if you're winning a race, there's often some of this. Uh, if you're competing, there's a, some of this. And, mm-hmm. and I think the better you are at that stuff, there's, you'll start seeing these moments in these even these longer races where you know you know whether it's getting around the corner or going a little harder here or you know you can see someone you know really is slow there or taking time in the aid stations or whatever it is and you start you know exploiting those and these are the the, the elements of the game that a lot of people just aren't familiar with yeah and i'd say i'm definitely better at that at the tail end of the race like the back half of the race no problem but definitely the first half of the race i'm so in my head of like oh my god i am never gonna survive Mm. this like they're going out so hard like i can't do that so i'm like well what if i could 
it is interesting some of the research uh, the, the ones that i think of at least that talk about the focus sort of narrowing with elites as the race goes on probably depends on the type of race but i would think there is a bit of a you know you're really focused on the start to get out ahead of the pack or whatever and then it so it's more of a uh, balat the famous for interval 30 30 intervals she talks about the smiley race and i think with focus it's probably similar where there's like a high focus and then if you picture that as a graph it goes down in the middle and you can be more you know thinking about you know you're almost dissociating from how long the race is and not paying as much attention directly to your effort or like drilling it and then you know you start you're in the hurt locker just trying to get to the finish in the last what was yours the last like five or ten miles were pretty you know focused to try and keep moving right and you're not really thinking a lot about other stuff mm-hmm yeah yeah well for me the last 10 miles always are like who can i catch mm. yeah and i think it, 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 that's exactly it yeah you're you're trying you have to stay focused when a lot of other people are starting to fall apart yeah um, that's my time to shine yeah right uh, and, and that is it's tough with pacing right because it, it is uh it is that difficult thing where you're trying to believe i guess that in the end of the race you're going to catch people but a lot of us don't you keep you don't get focused don't stay on it long enough to see that and then once you see it you have to really keep reminding yourself you know when it seems like you're in the middle of nowhere and you're behind the leaders that you know uh, anything can happen i know a few clients use that as sort of a a mantra after seeing that because indeed you know suddenly the person comes back out of the, they're going reverse somehow they're going slower you know uh and you catch them and you go up and you know you place really well mm-hmm. yeah exactly side note until you made that hand gesture to explain the balat smiley race i legitimately thought that smiley race actually just referred to like finishing feeling good and happy uh which okay. technically uh, does like work with your coach that. david roche would enjoy that that's what you were thinking uh, i think the whole time <laughs> this actually has ruined the concept of the smiley race for me uh but no the peter, smiley race to be is... what peter was doing because no one could see you do that he just made like a smile shape with his hand and it meant like you start hard and then it kind of like goes to kind of yeah, whatever yeah. in the it's middle sort of like you... the inverted or this is a u this isn't even an inverted not u. even inverted. so it's like a u shape it's an inverted inverted or u. a bowl shape yeah yeah so that's just then she talks about you could go hard at the start of an uh, effort or race and then you you know go down a little bit and then you go up towards the end in, in the intensity is what she's discussing but the focus is probably similar uh, i just prefer my smiley race version i'm gonna stick so to you it smile at the beginning but not at the end no, but or? also at the end oh also at like the, the, end. the point okay. is to like finish <laughs> just, i always thought it was kind of like a negative split sort of vibe okay. like you're and just you finishing you really just happy suffer in the middle yeah okay. yeah Okay. Anyway, um, speaking of suffering, uh, so one of the things we wanted to talk about this week is something that we've been, you know, we listen to a lot of like cheesy entrepreneurial productivity based podcasts. We, as with many of you, read sort of all of those like Jocko Willink, David Goggins type books or the, you know, uh, whatever the 10% compound effect, 1% compound effect, all of that kind of stuff. We read it all the time. <clears throat> but here's the thing it doesn't necessarily have to apply to all aspects of your life. And so what we're talking about is how intense or tough do you need to be or how hard mm -hmm. do you need to go in workouts? And I get super annoyed, Peter hears this rant constantly. Whenever I listen to business podcasts and they start equating like business, they'll be like, so running a business is, is, is akin to running a marathon, you know, the training that goes into a marathon. And then they start talking about marathon training despite not being runners and despite it not being a fitness podcast. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm listening to a business podcast because I wanted to hear about the business thing. I don't really Do need to a, be told. Yeah. Do you have business examples? 
do not need to be told how to run a marathon. I'm pretty aware of that. And also, even if you even if you are new to marathoning, like you were not tuning into the business podcast to hear that. I actually just think it's an example that they give because no one actually really understands how business works. Um, so they just give this example or they do like strength training or like you want to lose weight or like you want to get to the gym, whatever, or you want to like start strength training. And I'm like, again, this is not a fitness podcast. Please stop giving me fitness advice that isn't actually even accurate most of the time. Um, but the problem with all of it is like, they usually end up going down this road of like, so, you know, if you were doing one mile today, you do 1.5 or 10 or something. Um, they start getting into this weird thing of like, more is better. Um, but the problem with that is like, if you apply that to your training, if you start getting into like the David Goggins, I'm going to go out and run 200 miles, or there's actually like in Goggins book, the example that like absolutely slays me is he's horrifically injured and like can barely move. So his response to it is that he starts stretching for like 18 hours a day. It's like the most ridiculous thing in the world. And clearly it works for him. He He's just a different kind of human. Um, but that should not be the takeaway from that. Um, mm. In this case, more is more is probably not better. Right. So, you know, applying all of this stuff to your, you know, if you're out on your intervals or if you're out just on your, you know, easy ride that's supposed to be 60 minutes and you're like, well, David Goggins told me it should be 18 hours, so I'm going to do 18 hours. Mm. This is not helpful for your long-term development. So... Peter, talk to me. How how intense do intervals need to be? How tough do intervals need to be? Well, intervals are training because, I mean, there's also the subset of person who, you know, you need to ride 10% more than your plan or, you know, just more and more volume. We talk about this all the time where it's, you know, if the three-hour ride is good, is it four-hour better? If someone on Instagram does 200K, do you need to do 220 uh, you know, I, I don't know, like at some point there has to be a, a limit and, and some sort of training theory. I'm just picturing the training peaks like thing where, it, you know, it's like red, yellow, green and greens. If you got it or it, like it does mm. stay green if you went yeah, over it. But I'm just picturing it like yeah. turns to like glitter if you've hit like double or something. Oh. It should actually turn back to red. If it you does. Go. Yeah, it, it's 15 percent, I think, or 25 percent is what, what okay, red so would be. Training peaks does this for a reason. Yeah. Plus or minus. Yeah. And I always say, I mean, it's not good or bad. It's just it's highlighting that there's a difference from the plan, which could be fine. Uh, depending on how it's set up but yeah that's that's the idea is it's plus or minus from the plan so I like that. so indeed yeah it's so it's, you're not going to get like sprinkles and confetti coming down <laughs> from your training peaks if right. you do double what you're supposed to do yeah i, I don't know like then there is that subset of uh self-help and productivity or whatever it's called where there's the less and, and this isn't it just strikes me as not po as popular as humans we like don't like to remove things we like to add things so more miles more intensity more whatever more modalities more ice more cold more hot uh rather than just doing less right and that's you know in your injury example it, it is that frustration that a lot of the success in injury healing is actually just time right and it's it's very hard to take that out of a six-week study that time has elapsed so you could double blind and say these people did exercise and these people did ultrasound and needling and foam rolling and massage and Cairo and then you know at the end of it all what what happened and the thing is that both of them have time going by right and right. sometimes the body just does things over time uh in a similar way if you just keep riding your bike consistently you, you probably will be better in six weeks uh because of the you know time has gone by i guess that's not a perfect analogy but you know whether you do 200k or 50k it's sometimes hard to 
sort of just squeak out where it actually uh, the benefit came from. Certainly with injury. I remember when I had slipped a disc in my back doing like acupuncture, Cairo, heat, like just every single modality I could possibly like throw money at I was doing because I was so freaked out about it. And ultimately it was just like, don't do anything for like three days. And it was fine. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, we've had Greg Lehman on and he's, you know, pretty open to whatever, really. Um, he's also critical of, of many things, but, uh, you know, whatever you're finding is, is helpful. But he also will often ask, you know, have you taken three weeks off in some cases, right? And, and just not not poking the thing, not poking the injury, you know, mm-hmm. and that could be poking it with massage balls or <laughs> massage or needles. Yeah. And sometimes it is just giving things a rest. Um, they talk about, you know, fake sham surgery uh, studies right. are some of my favorites where they go in and they sometimes even make a fake or, or an actual incision, you know, in your, whatever, say your back. And they say we did surgery, but really they just made a cut and then like stitched it back up or something. Those are the more real ones. Uh, and then you have to take a recovery period afterwards and you believe that you had surgery and then you actually see like better or similar outcomes sometimes versus doing some of the surgeries. I really want to know what the dramatic reveal is when they're like, you didn't have surgery. Like, <laughs> yeah, do they the, get them in a room? Is it like a game show? All of a sudden you're bent over in pain. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't, that it, night your back starts hurting again. Yeah. So well, we did a podcast. I wrote down the name there. What was it? It had a clever rhyming name. Uh, something flow and how hard to go. Yes. Focus, like focus flow yeah. and maybe how hard to go. And so it was sort of similar. Like, I, I, am I going hard enough in my interval? So it, it was in some ways a more direct question than this. You know, can I, is there 10% of my capacity I'm not touching? Um I think what there probably is, but, you know, this is the idea that, you know, you, you could be tougher, you know, you're not tough enough and you're not training hard enough mm-hmm. or m- as much as you could. And I don't know, we all have so much going on. And then there's this balance of pers- enduring, right? That's the nature of our sport. Like you're pushing into discomfort longer and longer and longer. That is, you know, and that could be going by going harder, a little more into the red zone, or it could be by pushing longer, right? I, I talk about I really like doing rides that are 90 minutes and I can go up to about three hours. But as it starts creeping over three hours, I don't really like to endure much past that. Uh, so the question is, do I need to? And when do I need to? And, and what are the ways that I can set up myself to do that? Um, but but it, I think it is, you know, there should be a, a fairly clear why we're pushing and when. Yeah, versus this very arbitrary, like, Jocko Willing style, discipline, discipline, discipline. What is the name of the, the there's someone who does a remix of all of Jocko's, like, speeches. Yeah, if you look it up, I don't know, I can find it. I'll put it in the put show notes. Put it in the notes. show notes. It's one of the funniest things I have ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, it's dance music. There, one of the tracks is pretty good. Pretty good. Uh, I mean, we've used it for an alarm clock in the past, so... Uh, I don't know if we use the actual song or not, but we have oh, used well, it. Oh, well, we so should. In any case, it, some people it's great and it is, you know, get you out of bed and, and there's some good habits there. Like, I think for some people, the idea that, you know, yes, you can, you know, make your bed in the morning or yes, you should get out. Like, if it's a binary, like, not moving, you know, sometimes these things can be actually quite helpful. So we're not saying that it's it's a bad messaging for everyone. But a subset of our clients are already at, I would say, 110%. And then they also consume this because it's attractive, right? Like, that's what they're good at. So they consume this, like, they don't consume the less uh, books. You know, we, not, none of us do this, right? We all like our strengths. Uh, so, so it's, you know, the people who you always say, like, the people that hear it, need to hear it, don't hear it. And then the people that, you know, <laughs> uh, hear it, 
what, what am I going with that? The opposite. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. The people who hear it didn't need to hear it, and the people who don't hear it needed to hear well, it. Well, in the receptive to yeah, it, exactly. too, right? That's what you mean by hearing it. I feel like my brain is just in constant battle because I read those books, but I also read, like, The Essentialism by Greg McEwen. That's, like, the do-less kind of philosophies. So I just spend the whole day in just this weird gray area of, like, do more, but less of it. Right, right. So... It is. So it's picking the time. So when, let's talk about, do you want to talk about when? I, I'm trying to think how we could add any order to this. I think, yeah, let's talk about like in a workout, I guess. So during the season, like this is periodization. So this is what I say. You should have a when and a why because we don't always do really miserable rides and drive ourselves into fatigue, but that's definitely good to do at some point in the year. Like that is base training. So you're at a training camp and I recall Dan Pruel, our national team coach, he would talk about like, this isn't how you train the rest of the year. Like he was always pretty clear about it, but you know, we would train like some of those camps were so hard, like forget your 75% like low intensity. Like it was pretty hard riding and, and a lot of days in a row, like you wouldn't take, you know, I, I'm fond of the two or three days on and then you take a day off. That's pretty standard. Well, and certainly if you were one of the weaker is like relative here, but if you were one of the weaker people on the camp or like those camps were infinitely harder. Right. So that gets into, well, we'll leave that a little bit like the group training, but that is where you have to be careful, like, because you might be at already 130%, whereas the people at the front, you know, our top athletes and and you know might be completely fine this is probably great training for them they're probably are at 75 percent and, and just cruising chatting away but then yeah you end up with this group situation where you know it's hard to have a individual stimulus and sometimes you can you can let them draft or you can you know some of them might be on mountain bikes or road bikes some of them might shorten the day you know certainly we do stuff like this um but not all the time. But not all the time. And so that week, you know, let's assume it is a, an appropriate dose for each person. Uh, you wouldn't do that. You wouldn't go home then from that and train like that. You would then go back to more traditional training where you're, you know, trying to get a nice balance of intensity and volume. And, and maybe once a day, like maybe your Sunday long ride is long, but there's no need to go longer than long. Uh, and then you also want to pay attention to like, are you fueling that and recovering from it, i.e., on Tuesday, can you train again as was per the plan? Or do you have to skip that? Or is that like, oh, I didn't do my intervals or, you know, I'm crying or something? Because that's where you need to make a decision of, is the plan the thing I should be following? In which case, what do I need to do Saturday, Sunday so that I can, again, train again frequently? Which I think is, you know, that's the heart of the thing is, can we come back again? So that's the when and the why, the plan. Like, is this a base phase? Is this an overload phase? Am I purposely overloading? If not, then what was the plan? And then am I, you know, can I do the plan as it's laid out? Uh, and, and then you don't need to beat the plan. I think that's sometimes the the thing, right? Like I need to, yes, you know, Peter yeah. said 200 watts. I need to do 220 watts. Okay, well, I mean, the, the, that's what zones are, right? Like even zone two training, you know, this is the popular thing right now is this zone two training. You train right at the aerobic, the top of the zone two or the aerobic threshold, aerobic, not anaerobic, but aerobic. <laughs> Which quickly becomes like basically people are training towards the anaerobic threshold. They're well into that moderate training. But it's zone two. So like zone two is big. Like if you look at your zone two, you know, go and look at whatever zones you use. Like it's it's a very big range that you're supposed to ride in. I think mine's probably, I don't know, 180 to 250 watts. So it's like a 70 watt spread. Uh, maybe not quite that big, but like plus or minus is quite big, right? So there's no need for me to ride at 250 watts. And indeed, some days 250 watts, say it was hot out, 
right? It, I would be all of a sudden into effectively zone three, right? Where it's the demand on my body, the the stimulus or the low, the strain on my body is what I should say, is high enough. So then the stimulus is going to be much more than was actually intended by the plan. So this is why we have zones is you, you triangulate these things with feeling, with power perhaps, with heart rate, that's three, triangulate, so that then you have an appropriate load for the day. Um, mm-hmm. But there's a lot of the time, and this gets, uh, you were going to say something so I can. Oh, no, I have something that's going to come after this. Oh, okay. This to me relates a bit to our tenants. We can talk a bit about our tenants, but the, the one is one we've stolen from Dan Cleather, and it's uh, much of the training process is spent purposefully not going 100%. It's in our tenant. So I actually sent this to a client oh, the other day. To be fair, we mean under 100% in that case, like 100% being the top, not purposely right. going 110%. Right. And so this is like intensity discipline is something, you know, Steven Seiler talks about this as well. And, and it's just this idea that much of the time we're trying to keep a rep in reserve to not do the most amount of reps or the most amount of time. It's also that we're not training at a hundred percent of the zone or indeed trying to hit a hundred percent of whatever, uh, all the time. Well, and you actually just said one of the, the buzzwords for like the Goggins willing productivity crowd is like the term discipline. Mm-hmm. So I actually think it's, it's worth maybe reframing the discipline element that they bring to the table in your mind as like discipline is following the plan. Mm-hmm. Discipline is like you say, purposefully, not going that like 110%. Like I think if you're tempted to keep going, like whether it's longer or harder than the prescribed thing, the real discipline is actually, can you keep it dialed to where it's supposed to be? Right, right. Um, So I actually think that's kind of an interesting way to look at that. And what I was jotting down here is uh, if that is like a very interesting thing to you, if that like compound effect, like the 1% better every day, 1% more, 10% more, whatever percentage you're thinking of, could that be applied to other aspects of your life? Could it, could we get 1% better at sleeping enough? So sleeping for an extra 10 minutes, if you know you're really light on sleep or, mm-hmm. you know, improving your, your sleep space or, uh, you know, eating that one more snack on the bike, if you know your fueling is not at 100% or taking five more minutes to clean your drivetrain and spending that, you know, being 10% better about your bike maintenance or 1% better at having like the chat with your family. It didn't like, there are so many things that we can be getting 1% better at. I think we all just pick training because it's the thing that we're naturally drawn to because it's, it's sort of the easiest for us. Like for me, it's way easier to run an extra two miles than it is for me to like come home and send the invoices that I need to send or like. Sure. And I mean, we're, again, we all do the thing that we naturally are good at and enjoy. Mm -hmm. And we know, you know, deliberate practice is a a buzzword and a big thing that was studied and and it's taken out of context, you know, along with your 10,000 hours rule and all these things. But the idea with that is that like effective training is often not inherently enjoyable. You need to find joy in the process, but it's often not the most enjoyable thing you want to do. I love shredding down fun single track, but like you can't always be training like that. Uh, you know, you can't just take a downhill run all the time if, if your goals are endurance training, right? There's there's a certain limit there for you. You know, it, you are very good at knocking off and checking off the volume or the, the time, the distance, whatever it is. But, you know, that can look like a flat road rail trail versus right. driving to the trails, which neither of us is, you know, big on like wasting time driving to the trails. Uh, you know, it could mean hillier terrain or more technical terrain that maybe is more difficult, certainly is harder to accumulate time and distance on. Uh, I see with clients, you know, similar, like, you know, they're, they'll try and push, push, push on the volume, but then forgetting things like the climbing, the technical, 
you mentioned mechanical so things like setting up suspension tire pressure and tires like it's very common i'll see someone is perfect on their training but then has never used a digital gauge or set tire pressure well I think the number of conversations at nationals that we had of people about tire pressure Mm -hmm. and like not your clients, like literally just sometimes, I mean, we all all get there at different times. It's not a criticism, but this is if you're looking for the extra 10%, it's often not like you, most of us are pretty motivated and we do what we can given our life as far as the, the strictly hours and power. Uh, and, and so there's often these other things are the things. And this is if you're going to apply discipline, it is, you know, the, the cliche of the making the bed. You know, it is. It's the cleaning the bike. Mm-hmm. It's the setting the tire pressure. It's stupid annoying to have to find the pressure gauge and set my tires every single day. Speaking of which, why was one in our Amazon cart? Don't we have like six? What? Tire pressure gauges. You need a lot. Oh, boy. <laughs> you need a lot, right? They're in the van. They're in the house. They're in the gear bag. Uh, they also break periodically. So there is that. So yeah, I, I think that's the idea. So we have the, as a review here, you know, we're talking about the, is this training like appropriate for what I'm supposed to be doing? Am I doing the thing I'm supposed to be doing? Right. Or did it say like four minute hill intervals and you know, you're not on a hill. Right. And then, but mm-hmm. for some reason you can ride for five hours or something like that. Right. 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 Um, the environment is another big piece there. I don't know if we've spoken to that a lot, but it's definitely, again, thinking about like, are you getting enough time with other people where you're learning those skills, whether it's just social comparison, like part of the reason we exercise with other people is for fun and conversation and to get in the time. For me, that's when I think about my going over three hours, it pretty much has to either I have to do point to point, like the only way to get done this ride is I have to get to the other point and it takes longer than three hours uh, or just go with other people. And that's fine. Like I can do it, but I have to set up that environment uh, I see with a lot of people, there's so much social comparison that they're so nervous when they get to a race and, and just people are riding around them. So there's a whole skill with that and the tactics associated with that. But I would say a big chunk of that is is the social comparison where they're just, you know, I might, I suck. I suck because there's people around or they're, they look so fast and you just need to get over that. I still have that. I go to races and think, you know, I'm going to get blown apart, right? And then I've won some of these races, but some people look legit. Right, and I know I'm not that good looking. I guess at I think bike you're good riding. looking. Uh, right, we all have these weird feelings. It's like I've been only bike rider my whole life. Right, I must look a little bit like a bike rider. But then you have these like uh, imposter feelings, right? And so this is why we we exercise with other people partially, right? Is is for that training, if you will, for sure. But yeah. it's uncomfortable for a lot of us, right? It may not be inherently enjoyable. Yeah, yeah. right. Which is good. Hopefully, that's like, oh yeah, not enjoyable. That's the type right, of training score. I'm looking yeah. for. Excellent. Right, right. If you want something that's hard, I think that's that's the tricky bit with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else? Well, I think that sort of wraps up the, like, how tough do you need to be? Do you... There's a, a few other just sort of supporting things. So we do have our three tenants. I'll put the link to that. Art. We have an article sort of explaining our three tenants of training. And, and they're things I, I always forget to come back to them when I'm answering questions. But they, they just, a lot of times they answer the question. And so we have 80% as a passing grade. This is something, you know, in school, I realized that they give you the same certificate pretty much. And no one ever looks at their certificate. And you could get 80% or 100%. But the difference is that when you do 80%, you have more time, and, and we talk about slack sometimes, you have more time for other stuff. So you could go to the bar, or you could go ride your bike for a bunch of hours, and they still, you get 80%, right? And, and it's not passing off, like getting an A, you know, or whatever that is in your, they might, some people call it a B plus, but I call it an A. Uh, you know, it, it's not easy. You do have to show up and, and like, it's hard. 
right? There's a difference between 80% and 6 There's a difference there. (laughs) You you need to be on your bike every day. And we're definitely not saying, like, cut every workout to 80%. No, no, no. This isn't related to intensity or duration. Like, I I think do it, but, like, it's not a big deal if the watts are at the low end of the zone. Or you you miss one. You know, you forget one. You know, this. if the workout's an hour 20 instead of an hour 30 or, or vice versa, right? If it's a little longer, it's not the end of the world. If it's a gravel bike going up a hill instead of a mountain bike ride right like these are things that people sometimes will get so caught up in the minutiae but it's like did you ride your bike today if it said vigorously did you go vigorously if it said easy did you go easy another part of that that sort of supports that concept is 90 percent uh of life is showing up life is showing up um and, and that sort of takes care of like, you know, the 80%, you, you sort of need to be there, right? And, and when we say showing up, we also mean this is related to our next uh, question. We have two questions today is you need to show up at the start line with a functioning bicycle, not injured and not sick. And so, Which is a taller order than you'd think. Very hard, right? And this relates to if you're the person who's always out, you know, any weather, I go f- twice as long as my training plan and twice as hard. Right. And then you end up sick a bunch and you're in this like, um, I hate the binge and purge sort of cycle, but like on and off cycle where it's 120 percent and then zero for a week because right. you're sick or injured and back and forth. And your your equipment's always like janky and, and broken because you're always, you know, people will laugh because my equipment's also often worn out from going a lot. Uh, but yeah, that, that's the idea. And then we mentioned the hundred percent. Right. So much of the training process is spent not purposely not going 100 percent. So 80, 90, 100. 80, 90, 100. And that's that's the idea, right? So a lot of questions, if you just sort of r- roll through those, you can sort of like figure out, like, am I overstressed about the, something that doesn't need to be, you know, at perfect? You know, or, or am I striving for this quote unquote perfect workout? You know, did I do the minimum just to show up today? You know, if, if you're debating, should I go for a walk or not go for a walk? Or I, can, I only have 20 minutes to go out on my bike today versus the 90 plan. Like, go show up. <laughs> like get to the start line most people don't do that right mm-hmm. that's a, they're not there or or they're there but they're not actually there they didn't pre-ride the course they didn't you know these are the things that like it, it doesn't matter how fast you did it just like did you go pre-ride before the race yeah it took you you had to go on a friday evening and pre-ride the course but that's showing up right mm-hmm. you don't show up and, and say oh you know i didn't go like so again these things sound easy but they're actually very hard to do well and some of them mean that you can't train five hours a day because right. you have to go to work and you have to show up, right? You have to fix your equipment. Perfect. Uh, last thing I'll mention on this topic that sort of supports it, and I, we've brought this up a few times, is we've had Steven Seiler on the podcast a couple of times. This is our polarized, you know, person who's uh, you know really popularized the polarized. Uh, Say that 10 times fast. And so he had a great TED Talk that was just the myth of no pain, no gain. And so we'll link to that. And it's, you know, if you don't want to believe me, like there's Steven Seiler and everyone likes uh, Steven Seiler. So to yeah, be clear, the myth is that no pain no gain is, is true or no yeah no it's it's a myth he's saying it's a myth yeah so he's saying and his argument isn't so much even for the you know high performance athletes and the polarized whatever he's saying that like when you start exercising if it's miserable and you're on your limit every time you go out so this might be because you're out with like a spouse who's you know faster than you and it just sucks or, yes, I know all about or that. A, or a group ride that's too hard, or you're just like someone told you to do high intensity intervals all the time, or you know this relates to fitness class or biking or running or whatever you're doing. Like you're know our runners, like it's okay to walk a bunch, right? And this is what Steven Seiler saying is when you're starting, it it should be mostly enjoyable, uh, especially if you're not someone who's drawn to exercise. It can't be just suffering, you know, vomit 
you know, at your limit, beyond your limit every single time. And so probably worth just reviewing that podcast or that TED talk. And I mean, the podcast we did with him, uh, because I think that is like a really good messaging from someone who often is talking, you know, about very minutia, like into the minutia of, of cycling training, right? Mm-hmm. Perfect. We'll include those links in the show notes. Okay, before we get into our next topic today, quick word from our sponsor, AG1. So I've been hearing just so many different like superfood, multivitamin, blah, 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 blends that are now hitting the market or, you know, like, oh, get this on Amazon. And here's the thing, or AG1 is NSF certified. So it's been third party certified for sport. You know what's in it. You know what's, what they say is in it is in it. You know it doesn't have any of the stuff you can't have as an elite athlete or as an athlete in general. Uh, and it has all of those things. Your, uh, you know, your vitamins, your minerals, your probiotics, your prebiotics, your adaptogens, your greens, just all in one. Here is your one supplement superfood so you don't have to do all of the you know, reading all of these different articles about the competing different superfoods or worrying about what's actually in them or any of that stuff. Here is your one-stop shop. Keep it simple. We've been doing it. We're using it for well over a year now. And I've been so, so happy with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's great. We really like it when we're traveling, right? It's sometimes hard to have fresh vegetables on hand as well. So it's certainly helpful as we travel and and do some van lifing and and different things as well. Mm Mm-hmm. So it also has over 7,000 five-star reviews. Um, So many different people recommend it. Uh, I could not recommend it more. And bonus, it's a climate-neutral certified company, which makes me very happy. Um, And the delivery is super slick. Like, it's so easy to just have it, you know, here's your subscription. It's at your door every month. You can add travel packs if you know you have a lot of travel coming up. Uh, So yeah, just super convenient. And to make it even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. So all you have to do is visit drinkag1.com backslash Molly H. Again, that is drinkag1.com backslash Molly H. That's M-O-L-L-Y-H to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. All right. With that said race week so this is actually where the ag1 comes in handy for us again you know we're traveling we're on the road we went to colorado for three weeks this june for leadville we were in quebec and then nova scotia for quebec single track and nationals so having sort of that extra nutritional uh, insurance was very very helpful for sure Um, but we just wanted to quickly talk about race week because leadville the mountain bike race is coming up it's actually this this, this week. weekend yeah 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 it's busy so, busy week this weekend is always a busy weekend for races so that's sort of why we thought race week would be a big one we are getting a, uh, a lot of questions from clients and podcast listeners in this direction where it's you know i am into race week what do i do for training or you know i'm traveling and i can't train or any variation of this so it's really just you know what do i do the week ahead of the race is is the question and so we, we just went through the tenants and so i think the biggest one to keep in mind with race week as adults especially there's probably some fancy intervals or openers or whatever you want to call them for those one two three weeks maybe beforehand probably probably I, i'm never that convinced especially for adult masters that there's that much uh, that, that really matters. I think consistency is important. Keeping doing what you're doing. Uh, keep on doing what you're believing in. But and like lo- some type of interval effort, but it doesn't have to be these super secret, super fancy. Yeah, we'll get to the, the, the training sort of basics, I guess, in a second. But the big thing is 90% of life is showing up. This is what a race is. A lot of people don't get to the line 
wait for it, they don't get to the line with a clean functioning bicycle, right? And this is very hard to do, right? You have to get there, travel, maybe pre-ride, you know, so without, you know, the a weird thing you're wondering about and worried about, you know, the chain is squeaky, there's four gears don't work, the tires are leaking and you're just hoping you'll make it through the race without them running out of air or something, you know, the shocks aren't tuned, uh, the bike fit sucks, you know, it's creaky, you know, there's just all this stuff that goes into a well-functioning bike. It's not cheap. It's not easy. So again, I'm not giving you an easy assignment, but what is your goal on race week? To show up on the start line on time, maybe even early, you know, knowing the strategy of the game. Is this a thing you have to show up and stand for an hour to get the proper spot? Which is unfortunately truer and truer in a lot of races, especially these mass start like gravel and like Leadville type events. It is about getting there. Sure. Stupid and, and early. I would say you can get used to doing this. Oh, this is with our preparation races. You know, maybe you have to stand. Maybe it's with intervals, just doing a bit of like cold starts, you know, you be safe, you know, do a basic warm up uh, as needed. But yeah, you might have to stand there for an hour in the cold and figure out clothing that for that time of day so this is you know showing up means that like in the month or two or three beforehand you are game playing the time of day the clothing that you can easily get off you're practicing riding with no hands and one hand to get clothing off where does the clothing go you know figuring out some cool ideas like i always talk about the bag up the shirt i don't know if that's cool but the bag up the shirt that's sort of like a windshield that's easy to like pull out and takes up zero room uh, also could go back in later if you needed it versus a vest that's harder to get off for most of us and then also takes up way more room than a little plastic uh, like grocery bag which are also hard to find these days but yeah and i think being prepared for different eventualities so nationals for example we did not expect like how the lineup strategy went with nationals but it was suddenly like this weird you had to be in the start area like somehow 30 minutes before your race and then they were At like nationals yeah what? Remember, you had to be like over in the start pan- like grid thing. Like, no, you're are you talking about the stage race. Maybe I'm talking. Oh, so nationals actually, both was super races. low key. No, you got you <laughs> no, got yelled got our- at. You got yelled at for chatting when you should have been like. Oh, but that was six minutes before. So that one was very low key. We got our yeah, like too low key. They they ran it to the wire. That okay, one, so yeah. I'm mixing them up. But yeah, like we didn't really realize you had to be in the start grid like 45 minutes before the race. At at. Yeah, QSE, there was an odd rule in the thing about be, you had to be in the 30 minutes before. And then they were talking about, you know, even giving us time penalties because a few of us were being a little more leg and just walking up through the group and everyone seemed okay with it, but the commissars weren't. So you need to know you, that's the rules of the game. And mm-hmm. so you just, okay, fine. The next day we showed up and we stood there and chatted for half an hour. And, yeah. you know, there you go. And then you have to go fairly hard <laughs> from standing there. Yeah, exactly. So I think being ready for different eventualities is probably a good thing. So like you say, doing some of those cold start type intervals and doing that kind of thing. And I mean, everyone's probably standing there, right? So it doesn't really matter. And a lot of these longer races, if we're talking about Leadville or something, I mean, they sort of start hard, but again, they're not starting that hard. Uh, like it's not a World Cup cross country race sure. or a cyclocross race or something, right? Where you need to go ridiculously hard. So, I mean, it's it's fine. And some of these big, long things are actually more like, you know, you're almost trying to preserve your energy. So warming up nervously and doing openers before some of these big, long, all-day events is probably not that smart anyhow. Mm-hmm. But you want to know when you arrive. So showing up, again, to finish that off. Okay, so the, the bike is working. Bike working. Personal favorite thing is if you're ever at the start line of an Ironman or you're ever in the Ironman village, just start assessing how much kinesiology tape is attached to everyone around you 
somehow it's like 95% of Iron Man participants have some kind of kin tape attached to them. Mm -hmm. Or, yeah, something, right? And again, injuries happen, but again, not easy. So why is that relevant? Well, in the three months before, this is where you're smart and you don't, you know, if you're starting to get a niggle, you go get it looked at, you maybe take a day off. You know, if your saddles, you're starting to get a saddle sore, you take a day off, you get it looked at, you adjust your bike fit. Uh, you're, you're reasonable in the run up to the race so that on race week, you can say, Peter, I'm showing up with a functioning bike. I'm not injured. I'm motivated. I haven't trained so much that I'm just so over biking that I don't have any motivation for this race anymore. Um, is that, is that all the stuff there that you're not injured, motivated, healthy, you're there on time again, the on time is surprisingly like, and when I say on time, it's on time for the strategy of best performance. Mm-hmm. So if you need a better start spot, then you're there early if you know you need to hit the porta potty and there's going to be a line you're there early right so that's your only goal like if you want to boil down what do you do race week is you know that whole three months before you prepare to be you know on the start line yes and if you haven't subscribed if you haven't subscribed to our newsletter if you do you actually get our race day pdf checklist and it has some packing lists it has some scheduling so really helps you break down your race into what time do i need to get up what time do i need to be there when do i need to eat breakfast and sort of all of those race day questions so doing that stuff even like during race week reading the tech guide which i've talked about uh bane of my existence but Mm -hmm. read the whole tech guide cover to cover it's boring but it is very important so the other thing then so we can talk about how you lay out the training and the travel a little bit so travel wise you know when we're talking about peaking usually again with masters adults i talk about the working person's peak the main thing is just getting away from work and and your family i don't mean that offensively but just trying to decrease what's in your cup you know decrease what the stuff you have to do or worry about so if, if this is like a big a race something like leadville certainly but some of these other races try and get there a little earlier whatever that means you know if you think you should get there the day before get there three days before uh if you can um you know just trying to reduce the stuff that you have to do and giving yourself lots of time like and if you get there early then you have time to deal with oh my bike didn't show up and all these things that just cause stress and you know something could happen you, you throw your bike together in the hotel room the night before the race and then oh your pedals fall off in the middle of the race and, and you dnf so we're trying to get there early so that there's such a run in and so many checks of the fact that you're going to show up like you're you're you've gone to the start you know where it is you're not going to get lost you know the route you know you know your bike is in good shape you've done a couple you know opener like warm-up ride type things the days before now uh, you made a very controversial point there i don't know if you caught yourself doing it but you said arrive like if you're gonna arrive the night before at leadville arrive like oh. three days before so actually this is interesting i've been hearing a lot more people lately say like the previous advice of like oh you're in your worst possible position if you arrive at altitude two to two to four or five days ahead of the race that's going to put you in the worst position for race day that's actually starting to get like sort of disproven and more on an anecdotal standpoint but like what i've been hearing people say is anytime at altitude just knowing how it feels is going to be better than getting there and suddenly feeling like you're breathing through a straw and like having that like panic feeling that Mm. you get the night before when you get there and you're like oh my god this is so hard so at least if you've been there for a couple days you know how to breathe but also i would say like the you know couple percentage decrease that might happen if you're there on like day three of altitude versus your bike breaking on the start line uh, i will take the couple percent decrease over 
you know, catastrophic mechanical failure or missing right. the start line or what I like just not feeling prepared for the race. And, and this is where it gets nebulous with any studies or anything. Right. Cause it's, if you just said, okay, TSS, you know, intensity times volume, and I'm going to do is a five hour ride or, you know, better than a three hour ride. Well, it's more TSS. So yes, of course. Cause we only look at TSS and that's the only thing we think only about. metric. Right. But it's like, okay, but then when you get home, like your family's moved out because they hate you and you're sick and your knee is really hurt and you have a saddle sore and your bike's broken. Uh, you also got fired from work. And it's like, okay, well, that obviously wasn't performance enhancing to do that. Like, why but good do, news, your stress score is you know, just going even but higher. Ha- had you got home at three hours, none of that stuff would have happened. And, you know, yes, your TSS would be lower, but you would probably perform better the next day than after that horrible day. So I exaggerate, but you see what I mean. There's obviously other factors than anything that we think about. So in your case, you're saying you get to altitude and then physiologically your body is trying to deal with the decreased um, air density, I guess is probably say that we'll say less oxygen in the air, but that's not what it is trying to deal with altitude. And so the, it takes it, you know, say five days to get to back to pretty good. And there is a bit of a dip there, but you're saying, you know, what if you knew the course and you got some tactical information and you slept for a couple nights that were better than, you know, maybe you had a crummy flight and you're tired, you know, you've been at home, you have kids. So now you're sleeping really well. Maybe your bike is actually there, especially if you're flying with your bike these days, like- you're not stressed. Yeah. So it, it is tough, right? So in all of those things, like if you sleep better, that probably erases any of the altitude thing, especially if you're someone who has like a, you know, newer, you know, younger kids at home or, you know, you're job's really stressful and you get away for three days and then you race on the third day probably the trade-off is actually like not bad so what i meant by that when i made that apparently controversial statement was if you think you should show up one day before probably three days and if like three and you can do five or whatever most of the leadville clients i have have traveled on sunday yesterday as it as it stands today uh so not quite a week out uh, but they're getting to altitude on that Sunday. So that's like six, seven days maybe from like the race start. Again, not would it be ideal in a textbook? Probably not. Probably you'd do two to four weeks if you could, but no, no, most people can't. And then you do get into trade-offs again with just being at altitude and away from your family and your work, right? So it's this is the way. So travel a little earlier. Let's ignore the altitude thing uh, so that you can get your bike and everything else and get set up and familiar and, and whatever. Um Okay, next thing. And so that's just going to controlling the controllables, which is one of the notes we have here. Yep. Uh, uh, so travel. So you travel there. This is for an A race. Like we're talking about, when I say race week, like if this is just your normal like state race or provincial race, you know, you just your your normal race series, we might call this a B race where you don't train super hard the day before or the couple of days, but like it's sort of a normal week. You don't have to do any of this stuff, really. Like, I have the marathon this weekend. I'm not doing anything different. Some would call that a C race because you're sort of not doing anything, and it also wasn't really planned. I guess that is literally just a training run that's going to be supported, and I'm going to go pretty hard. You're not really setting seasonal goals around it like uh, to me the planning piece is a big part of that so c race is sort of like you haven't adjusted anything you're just doing a race in lieu of the 20 mile run you would would have done right right uh and you're probably accommodating that a bit last minute i would think like you're you're probably going to take sunday later or something right oh for sure yeah yeah but that's the day after so that's sort of mm-hmm. we're already past the race itself right okay so we get to the race try and get a little travel a little earlier uh the working person's peak I, I think you could apply that working person's piece to the state race right it might be like you could drive day of but maybe you go and get a hotel 
so you can pre-ride and, and not drive as much in the 24 hours before. Again, you're away from your family. It's not offensive, but like they probably don't want to deal with you before the race. It's true. You just go to bed, right? Like you watch a movie, you eat some food, you know, you maybe, you know, it's just super easy. You roll out of the hotel, you go to the race site, you race, right? You've eliminated all that morning drive. So this is what I mean by a working person's peak. Like it probably applies to not working people and pros, but like this is the main thing we should be thinking about and putting our time and money and energy to versus like, you know, the race winning intervals, which are intervals we use and have stolen. I think that's the training and racing with a power meter book, I think is, is what did that and Tim Cusack and all those folks. Uh, there are these fancy like peaking intervals, taper intervals, all sorts of stuff you could you could do, but I don't know that that's as important for a lot of us. Um, quickly, do you want to talk through just like that race week a bit uh, yeah. as far as training? Yeah, talk through the training. So usually there's like a, maybe the, so let's go through the week. So you get there, say on the Sunday or not, let's even ignore where you are. So Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, the weekend before, we're going to assume your race is either the Saturday or Sunday after and we'll deal with that. So you probably do a harder workout Saturday or maybe a more specific workout. Um, not that you're going to reap, you know, if you're doing a long Leadville thing, you're not going to do that. Uh, but, you know, it might be something like a, a more specific intensity, you know, so it might be like a tempo or moderate built into that, but certainly not as hard as you've done in the previous weeks. Again, you're sort of tapering it down, but keeping the intensity about where you want it. So an XC person, it might be something like four by eight on, on the course or on an off-road time trial type thing, or, or maybe you're doing some like hill intervals. So it might be more into that VO2 or anaerobic type thing. So something like a classic, like five by three or something you might do on your mountain bike. It's like a 90 minute to two hour ride on the Saturday day-ish before. Sunday, you're going to drop the volume. This is sort of rules of, of peaking and tapering. So rather than doing, say, a three-hour road ride or something on a Sunday, you might drop it down to like 90 minutes and a pretty flat one and just smooth and easy, not really stressed. Then probably you get into that next week. Most people take Mondays off, which is probably fine. Uh, some people will spin on that Monday. And some people will try and keep the frequency up. So they might not take even any complete rest days. You know, sometimes it's nice to keep a nice feel on the bike. Runners probably do want to be careful with how many impacts they have. So you'll either do easy or off. Um, just careful there um, that you're not trying to sneak training and fatigue in. So you take Monday, we'll call it off. Tuesday might be something like, again, this gets into, is it a Saturday or Sunday race, but you might do some coordination. So some spin ups or some strides or something, pickups and running. Uh, Wednesday might be more of that, like, you know, openers or, or pre race week, you know, intervals. It could be something just like that five by three or something like that, or, or, you know, not too much, you know, but less, you know, good speed, good intensity, keeping the intensity up on that midweek sort of intensity workout. And go, to be clear, if you've never done like five by three or whatever, no. this is not the time to ratchet up to <clears throat> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. So you would probably have built to that over the last six weeks, right? And, and again, you're sort of tapering that down, but keeping the intensity up. Uh, so maybe you were doing five by three all that week. And, and maybe you do four by three or three by three or two by three the race week. That would be a good example of something you could like taper it down, but keep the intensity similar or even higher. Um Thursday, some people, so let's say it's a Saturday race, some people will take Thursday off in that case, or very light, and then Friday do a pre-ride and, and or what some people would call opener, so we use a lot of like 4 to 5 by 45 seconds, something like that. There's all sorts of different things you could use with some of the more Leadville type folk. Again, I, I do more specific where it's like maybe 3 by 5 moderate, like a sweet spot type effort. Um, just feeling that sort of climbing pace, right? And, and heart rate's getting up, you know, maybe into that 85% dish type range, like feeling that 
that range. I think especially at like a altitude race, if you've you know been there for a bit, then that sort of just helps you like feel what it might be like on the first climb or something like that. Uh, yeah, and then maybe Saturday you race. Uh, you maybe bump that. You know, if you had to bump that to Sunday, then maybe you'd do another little ninety-minute type road spin on the Thursday. Friday take maybe off or easy. Saturday opener, Sunday race. Uh, that would be roughly sort of a rough race week uh, layout. Perfect. And sort of what I was saying about the intervals. Uh, the other thing we have noted about race week is no new stuff. Um, so, you know, you go to the packet pickup and you get the new gel and the new sports drink. And there's all these like booths with all the, you know, this is a resistant starch gel or whatever. Don't try the new things. Yeah. Save it. Just save it for later. And you must have found, I've heard this in a couple of Tour de France things where they're like, that's a very good rule. But most of the Tour de France people, you know, they show up and they haven't seen their race bikes and they just get on their race bikes for the tour like they've been on their training bikes at home and then they arrive okay so let's put this into context (laughs) these riders have been measured within inches of the millimeters of their lives they have been put on bikes in labs with lasers everything is perfectly measured the saddle is exactly the right saddle for them like there is nothing left to chance with these bikes these bikes have had millions of dollars of like technology and r&d and people put into like making this bike as optimized for that specific rider as humanly possible dude in the local bike shop checking your seat height not the same thing for sure uh i think i only brought that up more for and i think probably people working the tour probably like yeah it's not always like that but uh in principle yes they have professionals doing most stuff uh so indeed i'm sure they have the measurements and and the bikes are the same bike it's just like a new bike uh you know same saddle just a new saddle or maybe they even transfer the saddle over in some cases if someone's like really finicky uh but that said there's often reasons that you end up like your bike cracks in half and like oh race week like you can't ride that bike (laughs) anymore for sure Uh, there's often these cases where you have to make a decision right And, and you just have to be you keep these rule of thumbs these heuristics in mind because often they guide you in the right direction but at some point there may be okay like it's pouring rain and like everyone's switching to mud tires i don't have mud tires so i'm gonna just gamble that like this mud tire is a better mud tire than like the super slick tire i was hoping to run when everyone thought it was going to be not muddy um sometimes you have to make that it's a little bit of a hail mary you don't want to make those decisions if you find yourself always making those decisions then you need to like do better right again this is the showing up like you should probably have mud tires (laughs) you know if you're always (laughs) buying random mud tires and swapping them the day before uh, but that, that's, I think the rough rule to your point is stay out of the expo gels. And, and this, again, the, the way we can execute on this stuff race week is by in the six months, three months, two months, one month before you should practice your fueling. I'm really proud. Of one of my athletes who's going back to Leadville, I think this is the third time, uh, you know, finally has done a great job. And he said this himself. I'm not saying finally, like in an insulted way, he told me, uh, you know, practicing and he's really used the fueling like at the amounts he's going to use it and he's figured out what he likes and where like when does his gut you know and and taste buds say like this is too much and so he's got a couple plans that he's gonna you know actually i think it's going to be great uh versus you know everything is fasted and you know you show up at leadville and try and cram you know two thousand calories into your mouth over 12 hours right yeah love it 
Love it. Yeah. Uh, and that also leads to, that's also like the pre-race dinner, pre-race breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> often the question, right? Like, what should I have tonight before? If you're asking, <laughs> this is a problem. And so I always think we had this, uh, 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 we were just t- telling my parents about some of the, the guys who were older than me, you know, in our cycling club coming up and i was very fortunate we had a few some good you learn great stuff and I, I sort of sometimes think that we're missing that right where it's just i was a younger kid i guess at the time and there was you know people who were in their 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and a guy in his 70s uh, i think i've talked about walter a few times where he just somehow knew how to stay in a group the guy was <laughs> he probably rode a bike till he died uh the day he died and and just so smart and he would always he always told me to go to the road because that's where the money was uh <laughs> Yes, you're right. He was smarter than you. <laughs> he was right. Uh, where am I going with that? So the guys, the guys told me. What did they tell me? Something about pre-race dinner. <laughs> oh, right. The one guy would always say, you know, if you have a beer every day, you need to have the beer the day before the race because that's what your body knows. So he would always have his beer the day before. Okay, maybe we're not suggesting that like a hundred percent. But I don't but the know. Concept. It's it's probably good advice to not disrupt. I I I, I like what you're thinking. That probably not, but. You do have to think about, like, if your body... Or more don't add a beer every night No, don't do this. this don't do this so that you're prepared to have the beer before. But that's the idea. It's just, you probably don't need to... If it's worked every Saturday long ride you've had... And again, this is assuming in the six months before, you've done some pretty extreme training to prepare for this extreme challenge in heat, you know, whatever, maybe at altitude. Did you have a pizza the night before a lot of races? Like don't randomly have a pizza before your race but if you've gone and run vigorously on a pizza it's probably going to work again which is what i do uh and to be clear i like very specifically decided on pizza a few years ago because pizza is something you can get anywhere like a lot of people have like fairly fancy race dinners but i mean we've been we've been in races where you're staying in tents in the van in a hotel room like and you know in an airbnb where you could cook but it's not always as easy as like cooking your own dinner unless you're gonna have like mm-hmm. stuff that doesn't mm-hmm. require cooking so i've always liked pizza because you can get pizza pretty much anywhere or at least find a frozen pizza worst case yeah so i think about that so i think about the you know the beer story so remember that one not to have a beer but there's like if you usually have pasta the night before your big Saturday ride, and then again, if you're not fueling, this gets back to our discussions over the last two episodes we've had around in-ride fueling, and we talked a lot about the in-ride fueling, actually, like the before is super important and often is missed by a lot of us where we're trying to not eat before our rides for some reason and then fasting all through the rides and then we haven't practiced the thing. So even ignoring weight loss and metabolic, whatever, like there's also sp- specific like do you know what to eat on a race morning uh when it matters and, and you sort of have to gameplay this you have to test it in the weeks and months before yeah um yeah. so that you know right and, and again if, if you don't know then just go with whatever you normally have for breakfast and at least your body's used to it whether it's the perfect pre-leadville meal i don't know but you know if you have cheerios every morning then just have cheerios every morning if that's you know where you're at for sure Perfect. Um, and I think the last thing on here is just the the risk reward around like weather and mud, especially like I think in that week prior. Mm. Uh, this is definitely not as applicable to runners. Obviously, we can run in anything and it's fine. But biking, obviously, there's a lot of issues that come with riding in pouring rain or riding through muddy conditions when it comes to your bike on race week mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and this is maybe more of a xc cyclocross discussion uh but probably relates you know it could rain in leadville and and there's this urge that you have to ride every day 
uh, which I think as consummate athletes, we're trying to armor ourselves that like, yeah, you know what? A walk walk's probably good. And then I don't need to clean my bike and my bike will work on race morning when I get to the race. Cause Peter, wanna- Peter said that like the main thing is I have to show up at the race with a functioning bike. So if I total my drivetrain today and then I have to spend the next two days cause I'm there early, at least I did that trying to get someone to replace my super specific, you know, hanger that I just busted off of my super fancy bike. Side note, if you have a super specific anything, bring an <laughs> yeah. extra. You definitely have all your hangers and, and that stuff, yeah. Um, but I mean, this is, I always think about your story you tell where it was like, what, 12 years ago at a World Cup where your wheels didn't get there or we whatever to, it was? Yeah, Eric and I, a lot of good stories with Eric, but Eric Batty and I were traveling and as it, often when you're independent, uh, you know, we didn't have big team trucks or anything. It was just the two of us in a small little rental car. Uh, and maybe Sandra Walter was there on this too. And we had to send Sandra maybe knew some Belgians and that great episode with Sandra too. We had where we were talking about how Sandra taught me how to travel in Europe and was great because she knew some languages. She had somehow knew these Belgian, I think they were Belgian guys with like their photographers or something and they had a big truck. And so they took just our wheels so we had no wheels but frames, but then they, you know, got lost. And uh, there's often like detours in mountains, and who knows what they had to do. They didn't appear, so we were a little stressed because we didn't know if they just had stolen our wheels. Uh, so then I remember Eric and I just sort of like ran the course. It was actually really muddy anyhow, uh, but yeah, we just sort of like did like a jog, and we were into running and jogging. That's when we first got hooked on Killarney. It was actually later that year we did the big Killarney run here in Ontario. So we were condition to run you know was it the best thing to do before a world cup probably not but you know we wanted to exercise we wanted to see the course uh and we didn't have wheels so we were able to go and do that run and that could have easily been like a track walk like it would take half an hour to walk a world cup or you know and maybe an hour to walk 5k or plus minus you added the running part but like you could have just walked it and that would have been Mm -hmm. totally fine so i think not neglecting the fact that you can do basically your quote unquote pre ride on two feet. Not to say you should like that. That's the optimal way. I don't think it is, but it's a very good alternative. Well, if and the then weather it's valid is. movement and exercise. And again, during that race week, like there's nothing magical you're going to do that's going to like affect you know your body really. Right? Like, you want to keep your body moving. You don't want to stiffen up or anything like that. But I mean, I think if you're just trying to get like blood moving, walking is, is great. And especially at altitude, if you're at Leadville, you know, that's going to be probably training for most people. If you measured your heart rate, I would imagine you're into the magical zone too. For sure. Uh, right. So, and at Leadville, we often talk about people going for little hikes, uh, which you should also condition yourself to, because you'll probably be walking during some of these big stage races. And, and certainly Leadville, there's a big chunk of walking, uh, you know, to go and go to the highest points like Columbine in the bike race. Uh, and drive us, you know, maybe part of the way and then hike a bit and then maybe have lunch up at the really high peak. Uh, and again, this is something you could do probably, you wouldn't want to go to that peak in bad weather, but you could do something in that direction if it was, you know, rainy or muddy or something like that. Mm-hmm. Cool. So I think that's that with just the weather, just being smart, just how you, you know, and you could certainly ride on the road. We often would do this too, right? In lieu of pre-riding and seeing every inch of the course, maybe you stay off the course or... You know, maybe you combine a walk with a road spin or something like that. So it's not always like don't ride your bicycle and keep it in mint condition, but it's maybe just think about like the risk reward of plowing through mud and then hoping that that's what it's, you know, you have to see it before the race day or something because you're nervous. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily required. For sure. 
Cool. So that is race week. Um, I think we'll we'll end there. But if you have any questions sort of specific to that, like day before the race, day of the race, day after the race, even uh, mm-hmm. definitely hit us up over on Instagram um, at consummate athlete or send us a message on consummateathlete.com. We have a contact form and yeah, questions are always sure. welcome. Yeah, and we'd love to go through, you know, if there's just even quick questions or follow up questions, or if you've written in, you know, the follow up to what you were talking about before would mm-hmm. be great too. So yeah, definitely hit us with those questions and we can get into those as we get into fall cyclocross, maybe some running for some folks. Yes, very exciting. And with that said, uh, good luck to everyone who's racing this weekend, whether it's Leadville, whether it's your local race, whether it's a race we don't know about yet. Uh, yeah, just have a have a great time out there. And hopefully everyone has a fantastic race week. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. If you want to hear more training, racing, and endurance sport advice, make sure you subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at consummateathlete.com for a weekly dose of inspiration and advice straight to your inbox.